Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Vodka O'Clock. And, you know, joining me today is uh, Vito, otherwise known as Incognito, which cracks me up that I have to think about it. Uh, it's, it's Del Sante, yeah. right? Like you pronounce it. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Del Sante. And he's hailing from New York City this fine evening. And uh, so it's his first time on Vodka Clock. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I've been dying to get on the show for a long time now, I think. It's just, you know, having projects to talk about it or I don't mind talking to you. I mean, I think we proved that before we started, you know, I'll yeah, I know. talk about anything. anything. But, you know, I just, you know, I just, you know, like talking about something, you know. And um, yeah, and, and here on this show. We can, of course, be as explicit as we want because that's how we're labeled. So, <laughs> but you're probably, well, let's see, your baby is just a wee little baby. So you're not like watching your, your language as carefully yet as you might. No, not be. at all. <laughs> we, we, we will, we say we're going to, and yeah. she's already talking. She's not saying, you know, actual words, you know, she's doing the dadas, the mum mums. Um, we think she gave herself the nickname Day Day. Okay. Because um, we had said, I thought, wait, what's that? I thought, Sa- I thought Sadie Gaga was hilarious <laughs> when you posted that. I, I, we we were watching the voice finale last night, and I saw Lady Gaga, and my daughter started walking towards the dog, and I was like, Sadie Gaga, and I just just started crying. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. Uh, but yeah, like, but she, I think she tries to say Sadie, and just says Day Day. So we just started calling her Day Day, you know, as one of our other nicknames. Like, she's got Sadie Bug, she's got Day Day, she's got Sadie Gaga now. Still makes me crack up. Um, but yeah, so she's, um, she's talking, but it's not like, she's not saying words yet. You know, I don't think she, you know, comprehends sentences. She knows her name, she knows, she's starting to learn no. And, um, important. Yeah, very important. And, uh, I don't think the fucks and the shits that we throw out during the day because we're stubbed our toe or our dog is acting like an idiot. Um, have, you know, if she hasn't, Not registered yeah, yet. she hasn't yelled Kirby yet. Cause that's, that's my yeah. dog. You know, if she hasn't yelled it like at the top of her lungs, like we do because he drives us insane. Then, <laughs> then we're good right now. You know, she's going to be 10 months on Friday actually. So we're good. She's walking and running though. Oh wow! Yeah, she's she's a fast learner. <laughs> I, I you know, there's you can't get across a room faster than a baby. It's just proven science. It's true. It's like it, it reminds me of like that Jeep character and it was Popeye, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. They just like they're just there. It's <laughs> like no, no. Oh my goodness! I kind of got to make her a bat mic costume now, <laughs> just like she yeah. pops in just wherever she wants to. Yeah. I think that would be approved by many. <laughs> she uh, she was, um, I don't know if you saw the pictures, but she was Robin at um, near Comic-Con, and she got a picture with Bob Kiefer, who does a fantastic Batman cosplay. And uh, Oh, Bob, yeah, of course. Yeah, and knows Bob. It was just the most adorable thing. You know, and Bob's just, you know, his his costuming is serious. You know, it's very, oh, very. you know, like, and it's, it's legit. You know, Bob is a great guy. He stayed with me during the show. So we got to talk, you know, Bob is just a really cool cat, you know, and he takes it, you know, a, an extra step, you know? So yeah. here, here he is with his like perfect sculpted Batman cowl and like his perfect, you know, Batman costume. And like, there's my daughter dressed as Robin with a green tutu and like, 
you know, <laughs> like a green headband and stuff, you know, to be the mask. But it, it, it's the most awesome picture ever. Oh, that's so cool. It's so funny that you, you know, it's like you just immediately, you answered one of my questions. Oh, what was, what was that? I was going to ask you about how how Sadie did at New York Comic Con because I, I you know when I saw that you had the crib behind you and everything I'm like you're insane man <laughs> like you just brought your newborn baby to Comic Con yeah. you're insane yeah, well you know what we did was um, she came on I was there Thursday she came on Friday we gave her the day off on Saturday because I figured it was going to be the biggest biggest crowd there out of the all four days and the likelihood for her to get some kind of con crowd or whatever was higher on Saturday than it would be on Friday or Sunday. So we kept her home on, on Saturday and then Sunday she came back for kids day and she was great. She slept, which is ridiculous when you think about uh, keep in mind that where I was situated in artist alley, I was sitting between Billy Tucci who fantastic guy? Don't get me wrong. Both both guys um, that are about to mention, I, I I enjoy a great deal. But Billy had a a bell, like a like a teacher's bell kind of that he kept on hitting. So oh, it was no. ding ding every every now and again. And then on the other side of me was Tex, and Tex is super loud. You know, yeah, like he's, he's just got this. He's just like one of the happiest. Yeah, in the world. you know, like he's got this huge booming voice, and somehow or other, my daughter fell asleep. You know, like like every every, every couple of hours, she would just conk out. So she did it. She did great. You know, we. I don't know if you know I'm going to have an artist alley table next year, or if I share something with somebody or whatever. But I, I think we took her to the Big Apple Circus this weekend, and. She was very attentive to it. You know, she was very uh, – she reacted. And you don't think that at, you know, 10 months old at New York Comic Con was, what now, two months ago practically? So she – you know, she was eight months old, you know. So the retention of the stimuli is probably not going to be there. You know, like she, like when she gets older, she'll see the pictures. Oh, I know I was there. But um, with the, new, with the uh, Big Apple Circus, she – I don't think she's going to retain any of that information either, but she just seemed to enjoy herself and watch things and just paid attention, you know? So I don't know, you know, she's like, like I said, she's a really smart kid, you know, and I don't know where she gets that from, but uh, it's gotta be her mother, you know, <laughs> like, cause uh, I don't know that I, my memory goes back to uh, not that, you know, I'm going to turn this into you interview me. I interview you, but do you, do you remember what your earliest memory is? Like and how old you were and stuff. Yeah, and it was definitely toddlerish. I mean, it wasn't that early. See, mine goes back to kindergarten, and it's not even a memory. I remember having a nightmare in kindergarten. Oh, you know, that's right. And that's it. You know, like I don't remember anything before that. I have to be told, you know, oh, you did this, you did that. You know, so I I tend to think she's going to be one of those people that, like you, she's going to remember stuff from being a toddler and just you know, she'll remember you know falling down, you know, at a park or something, you know, the the smallest things, you know, she'll remember. I I don't know. She's just so smart. It's scary. Well, you know, hey, that'd be awesome. She'll uh, become a great world leader someday. We need one. Or a supervillain. I'll take that. I'd be, you know, <laughs> isn't it sad to say that I'd be happy to be the father of a supervillain? <laughs> like, it's okay. You know, like, oh, well, she... I won't ever get a speeding ticket again. It's okay. <laughs> she had such high expectations for life. You know, what else was she going to do? Got to be a supervillain. Wow, that's an interesting story. The parent of a supervillain. 
There we go. Oh, the magic happens it's here. Just, what are we in? Like 15 minutes in, and I already got a story idea. <laughs> <sighs> so, but what you're here to talk about the story that's out, World War Mob. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually officially not out. It's it's out in the world. And, it's out in the world. Uh, you know, it's out like there. there. We had a, um, a convention special for New York Comic Con, and, you know, we sold all of them. So there's at least 200 out there somewhere, you know, like uh, in the ether. And um, I only have one copy for myself, and the artist has three. So there's four copies, you know, that are uh, that are accounted for. The other ones, are, somebody has them. So um, it'll be it'll be released in January. Uh, January eighth is the day, and um, we actually had to change things up. It's not. It's going to be released digitally first, and then it's going to be out in trade in May. So yeah, you know. It, it sucked, you know, because the printing costs a lot. It it's nice to do the trade. Just go for it. Yeah, trade. no, I, I agree. You know, what it is is it, what sucks about it is, um, I wish we did that first. Like, I wish that was our um, our modus operandi first. You know, like well, at least you had the. I mean, you had something out for comedy. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you had that, and now you're just gonna, you know. Get the rest of it, right? You know, and it's beautiful. I mean, you've seen it. You know, it's yeah. just it's a gorgeous looking book, and it has nothing to do with me in in that sense. You know, like I'm just lucky to be the guy that has this good looking artwork. You know, so if it, I think it's a great story too. You know, I just um, I think the whole digital first thing might lend itself to a new audience. You know, like that going yeah. comic stores might not have. Who knows? I, I mean. I, I'm, I'm trying to make myself feel better about it. No, yeah, I think I think a lot of places are doing digital first or same day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really think you're breaking up the market at all. Yeah, I don't think so either. I mean, it, it's again like there will be something for comic stores and brick and mortar stores and libraries and whatever you know. So I'm I'm not really that worried about it. So let's talk about this great art team yeah. before we forget, since the art is gorgeous. Yeah, uh, absolutely gorgeous. Giancarlo Caracuzzo, who um, uh, people don't know his name, I don't think, and and I'll get to why I think that. Uh, but he has probably been best known for doing work with Jimmy and Justin, Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. Uh, he did a, a Jonah Hedge story. He did um, Weapon of God that they did for uh, Kickstarter recently. Um, he also did, what is that book called? Last Resort for IDW with uh, Jimmy and Justin. Okay. And uh, he also did uh, the miniseries Gorilla Man for Marvel. And what's weird is when you look at all those books, they all look different. You know, like he's, you can kind of see that it's still the same guy. But his technique is different every time, and he's watercoloring everything for World War Mob, and it's just, you know, it doesn't look like an American comic book. And I know that sounds weird, but most comic book fans will know what I mean. Like it, because he lives in Italy, and the story's based in Italy, it lends itself to a really authentic European experience. You know, I, I, like I, I hope that doesn't sound pretentious, but that was kind of calculated on, on my part. Um, no, I think it's justified. You know, it, you know, it makes sense. But yeah, he's just—he's just such a talent. You know, it, it's weird that we don't know his name 
as readily as some of the other uh, Italian artists that we know, like Simone Bianchi, um, Giuseppe Comancoli, uh, Gabriel Delato. Like these are guys that are, you know, I would say famous for whatever reason comic book creators are famous, but these are like artists that are, you know, well known to comic readers, you know, and Giancarlo isn't. And that, that blows my mind away because he's so good. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the way that he really captured, I mean, there's, you know, there's overall anatomy and stuff like that, but um, the facial expressions, the, you know, like somebody getting punched in the face or whatever. I mean, it's just, they're so reactionary in every single scene. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was beautiful. And then, you know, and because of where you've said it, you've got these beautiful background yeah. opportunities for him. Mm-hmm. So, um, which he didn't skimp on at all. I mean, it was, you oh, know, I, I, make back, it backgrounds everywhere. Yeah, make it easy on him at all. Like I, like if you read the book, you'll see that I'm, I mean, it's set during World War II, obviously, maybe not obviously. Um, the premise of the book is, um, the mafia, the New York mafia, the five families of the mob, uh, one of them being headed by Luciano, uh, Lucky Luciano, um, they take out a hit on Mussolini. So that's the elevator pitch, what I tell everybody. You know, it, it obviously gets a little more complicated from there, you know, when you get into who the characters are and who they, who they were before the war and stuff. Um, so you have New York you know, like in flashbacks and then you have the actual theater of war in Europe. So you have, um, the battle of the bulge is where we open, uh, the present quote unquote tense of the story is, you know, 1944, 1945, um, the, the winter there during the battle of the bulge. And then you have, um, cafe in Paris. Then you have Rome at one point, uh, some smaller villages in Italy that, you know, are on the, way to the climax. So, yeah, so he lives in Rome, you know, so he knows Italy, and then he's got to do all the research for what these places looked like back then. So it's really, he did not skimp on anything. Like, I... Yeah, not at all. I mean, it's it's impeccable. Yeah, thanks. Um. Now and and you said that you were you did your own letters and everything. Um, how are you publishing it? What's the the pub, I mean, is this a is this a small press publisher or is this self published? No, it's small press. Uh, New Paradigm Studios, okay. who are based out of Jersey, um, they do the book Watson and Holmes. Um, oh yeah, I've heard really good things. Yeah, they they're you know helping me put this out there. It's 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 one hundred percent creator owned, but um, it's under their umbrella. You know, so. That's great. Um, what gets you out there? Yeah, and and the thing is, you know, when you uh, you know talking about Watson and Holmes for a second, like it's such a good concept, and and it's it's not entirely it's not entirely original. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, why didn't I think of that? You know? Before. Yeah, but it's a nice exactly. Twist. You know, it's it's the way and it's well you know, done. It, it's beautiful. Yeah. Rick Leonardi doing any kind of artwork is always going to get my attention, and it's just it's it's a well crafted book, and I feel like. Mob being with that in the same under the same umbrella just looks good for them because it's not like they're just trying to throw out anything, you know. Like they're they're being somewhat calculated in how they're putting books out. So to be a part of that is really nice. That's that's great. How did you hook up with them? Um, how did I hook up with them? Zach Rosenberg, who is uh, a former Marvel intern, is my assistant editor and. 
at some point, I want to say about a year ago, because it happened really fast, funny enough. About a year ago, Zach had it either on Twitter or on Facebook, something said, hey, I just started working with uh, New Paradigm. And I jokingly sent him a, a, a message saying, hey, when you want to look at pitches, you know, and he said, all right, send me some pitches. So I sent him about seven kind of um, log lines, you know, just like two sentence, you know, this is what the story is. Boom. And he showed it to uh, the editor and the publisher and they said, all right, this one and this one, we want to talk about these two. And one of them was World War Mob. And we just, from, I say, February of last year to to now, I mean, we're still making the book. So, But we just doing the script. We went through either considering or actually asking. We went through 16 different artists before we got to Giancarlo. Uh, wow, yeah. that's a lot. Well, originally, um, I wrote this the the concept and you're a writer so you know this but like when you have the concept and then when you have the execution things right. things just change you know like yeah of course they you do. know so when i originally came up with the idea the person i wanted to get was dan mcdade who is doing um he just got announced on something new but he's doing uh catalyst comics with joe casey right now um which is kind of like the dark horse superhero stuff and uh he's got a very Jack Kirby, look. he did Jersey Gods for Image. Oh, oh yeah, I remember you that. Know, and it's got this Kirby look, and I was like, oh, that's a really cool look for a, for a war comic. You know, like I think that would work well with Dan. And he just picked up doing this, and I think the new project that just got announced last week, whatever the hell it is, damn it, I hate that. I, I used to pride myself when I worked in a comic store of knowing every project that was coming out, and now I, I my mind is just slipping, you know, but... So I know I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm so out of touch yeah. now that I'm not in the store every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so Dan couldn't do it. So he sent me to somebody and then that person sent me to somebody. And so we just kept on going through and, you know, like and then we would just throw out names like, all right, you know, Dean Haspiel's a friend of mine. Dean would look really well doing uh, a war book. What about Dean? And they're like, I don't think Dean's the right fit for this one. And, you know, it's probably true. And the thing is, you can second guess some of the names that are on that list a couple of different times because of the guy we ended up with, you know, because he's perfect. Giancarlo is just amazingly perfect for this book. And like, it's almost like, like I was saying, like, you know, from concept to execution, like it changed because of who we got, you know, because I knew the artist at that point. It just well, sure. You know, I mean, it's like you're, you know, you're, you're, if you're writing a song, and suddenly you end up with, you know, a killer guitarist to to come, you know, play with you one night at a show, yeah. you're going to tailor that song to make sure there's a solo in there. Absolutely. I mean, that's just what you do, and and it's the responsible thing to do to showcase, you know, let them let them have a playground, man. Just go here. Yeah, you know. I, I feel like a lot of writers don't. It's true. Do that, some, you know, like it's, yeah. it's not, and it's nothing you can be taught either. It's something you learn as you go along. Um, Ellis is a really good person who tailors stories to the artist that he's working with, and it's 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 a hard art to to conquer. You know, it's it, you know, I try to. What's weird is I try to do that in every project that I do, but every project that I do when I first start writing it. And he already knows this, so like if you know, it, it's not like I'm kissing his ass or anything. But whenever I do a project, whenever I you know conceptualize something, Dean Haspiel's the first artist I think of. 
I love Gene. Punk. Great guy. Yeah, he, and the thing is, he was the guy who I worked with first on Batman Adventures, which was 10 years ago last week that it came out. So, like, I just had my 10-year anniversary, funny enough. Aww. <laughs> Do I get something like diamonds or something? I don't know. It's the, pa- <laughs> yeah. it's the paper anniversary. How, paper. <laughs> how appropriate for comics. But, yeah, um, <laughs> Dean was the first person I ever worked with. So I guess in my head I'm always working with Dean, you know, like uh, whether I'm working with him or not because he's just – his art is the first art I ever associated with my writing, I guess. So I don't know. Like, So I always I always look to work with Dean somehow. That's so cool. Finding the right team. Finding the right team is an amazing accomplishment and an achievement. And you got the book out, and it's you know you're you're going to be having it widely released soon. Isn't it so fun when you get like when it clicks. It it's amazing. Like I don't That's think so great. I don't think people that you know like I don't know how much process you know you want to get into, but like whatever, yeah. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like whenever you get the right team whether it be you know the letter i mean i'm doing my own lettering but you know like when you when you get the right letter or the right colorist or whatever and everybody's just excited because you know it starts with us and you know i've been i've been fortunate because it's one of those things where i was like oh my god this person bailed they need somebody like now and it's like all of a sudden you know i'll I'll get a message i can do it you know what do you need and i'm like i'm like thank you I will. I will give you my first one. <laughs> but you know, like it's it's it, because it starts with us. It's on the writer to um, kind of get the creative team, the other parts of the of the team, to be enthusiastic and to be excited. And you're almost challenging them just by your the level of enthusiasm that you bring to the project. So uh, you, you can't. For us, you know, for writers, we can't go into anything lightly because that's that's why it hurts so much whenever you know somebody bails or when the publisher is like uh, like like this with World War Mob. Like uh, we had solicited two issues in previews when we looked at the orders, uh, the numbers, and just said we just it just it's not going to work. And it like you know, and it, they're coming to me telling me this, and it's and in my head, I'm like. I did all these interviews and I did all this stuff and I, what am I going to do? Like, why did I, like, did I, like the first thing out of your brain is, did I fail? You know, like, did I screw something up? You know what I mean? So, because I spent all this energy and effort in getting people excited about something, you know, whether it be the creative team or the editorial team or retailers or readers, you know? So it's, it's a, it's really rough. Like we're so emotional. At least I am, you know, like when it comes to this stuff, but um, but when it clicks, it it is the best feeling in the world. Like there's um, I'm doing this book Stray that I did a Kickstarter for, and um, the artist is based out of South Africa. So uh, I don't know. I can't work with anybody in America. I don't know. So um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> so he is he's a couple years younger than me, and he's um. Which is weird because I thought he was way younger. Just, you know, his artwork is so beautiful. It's it's like I tell everybody it's Alan Davis and Jamie McKelvey had a kid and it's him, you know, oh my and God. it's just beautiful. Like it's lush. It's got these beautiful lines. And, you know, I somehow or other, I get this dude excited to draw, you know, and when he sends me back pages, I get excited to letter because it's like, oh, I get to, you know, be a part of the storytelling process, you know, like I, I like not even the storytelling process, but the artistic process of it. Like it just, 
I'm still like, cause it's so easy to just hand it off, you know? And that's the, that was one of the worst parts of being a writer is that you hand something off and you have to trust that it comes back. Okay. You know, and, oh, absolutely. and, you know, lettering, thank God for Dave Sharp and comics experience for that. Because it, again, like I get to, like, I get excited from start to the end, you know, cause I do the production on it as well now. So I get to put the book together, you know, and it's, it, it's invaluable. I think, you know, like to be, to be an, to be a writer is to be a frustrated artist anyway. You know, because the reason why it's so accurate, you know, like, it's like the most accurate statement I've ever heard, you know, because I want to draw, you know, I, I grew up yeah. trying to be John Byrne or John Romita, Jr., especially John Romita Jr. in the 80s on Uncanny X-Men. That was my shit right there. Like that was that was what I wanted to draw like my entire life. And I told John this and he, he didn't believe me until I pulled out like these old sketches I did when I was a kid. And and he, he, he has them now, like they're in his house in some storage bin. I'm sure like he's long forgotten about, but he just like looked at me like you're serious. You know, like when I showed him all these pictures of Wolverine that I drew just like John Romita Jr. You know, like I wanted to be John Romita Jr. as an artist so bad when I was a kid. And the problem is high school art, doesn't encourage I hope back in the 1980s and 90s anyway didn't encourage that kind of artistic expression for sequential artwork and stuff unless you went to like a uh, like a LaGuardia or something you know and I grew up in Pennsylvania so that wasn't an option yeah I can't I can't say that it was encouraged in any way in, in my school um like we didn't have any we didn't even have figures at the time that I was in high school right so there was no figure drawing or anything like that. Um, it's really remarkable when I see that now. And like it turns you off to art classes, which is awful because I didn't want to do sculpture. I didn't want to do um, still life. You know, I wanted to do comics. And there was just like there was no way to cultivate that. So I just kind of uh, what I did was instead of going um, from drawing because I didn't. This is weird. I, I, this came to me today. When I was a kid, this is going to sound funny, but when I was a kid, I didn't know you could make money doing comics. And now that I'm an oh, adult, I didn't know. You know, and now that I'm an adult doing comics, I now realize that I was right. You, st- you can't make money. Making you still money. can't make money. Right. Well, I didn't realize that there were teams. Like I didn't realize that comics had a writer. I I did. I knew. I had no idea. I knew that I knew who Chris Claremont was. I knew who John Byrne was. I knew who Terry Austin was. I knew who Tom Orszakowski and Glynis Oliver were, and I knew who. Uh, Bob Harris and Louise Simonson, I knew they were the editors and stuff, but I didn't like as much as I realized that these were people making the comic, I didn't realize that I could be one of those people, you know, like, which is odd because like I had these names committed to memory. Like I followed John Romita Jr.'s work from Uncanny to Daredevil, you know, like um, John Byrne went to Fantastic Four, so I followed him to, you know, so I had like that idea of you know, who these people are, but I didn't realize I could be one of those people. Yeah. That's uh, the, once I knew that that was a job, same thing with like being a radio DJ. Like I didn't know where those voices came from and how that was done. And mm. when I, as soon as I did it, I was like, that's what I'm going to school for. Yeah. So <laughs> what happened to me was I went from being um, someone interested in artwork to, to being interested in acting. So I, I was an actor all throughout high school. I did plays. I did musicals. I, I sang. Like, I still sing now and again. You know, I, I'm 
always going to be a frustrated musician. But um, and on, on top of that, a frustrated, frustrated jazz musician. Because once I heard like Miles Coltrane and uh, Miles Davis and John Coltrane, I just lost my mind. And that's all I wanted to do is be able to play the piano with one of those guys. And I can't play the piano at all. Like, yeah, I, did, I, I actually was more of an artist in high school. Yeah. I did like you know some of the stage sets and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and fashion stuff. And so it's like I did that in high school and then I dropped it. <laughs> like I just hadn't hadn't done anything forever yeah. and. Uh, and uh, focus more on you know broadcasting and writing, and that's you know. yeah. I, I I still fancy myself as an as an actor. You know, I haven't done it in years. I haven't done it since. I've done like the occasional extra work, or um, mm-hmm. like I have a friend who's a director who, um, when he lived in L.A., I would go out to L.A. like once a year, and he'd invariably be filming something, and so he'd ask me to be in the background for this, or you know, can you uh, like. The weirdest thing, the last thing I did on film was my friend Jake, who uh, was, is a director, he's um, doing this short film and it takes place, there's, the scene takes place in an insane asylum. So what he's filming are these little things that are going to go in security um, monitors, like security camera monitors. So he's filming six or seven of these small vignettes. That are that aren't going to be seen very well, you know, just on a background wall. So I'm just jumping around in, in my quote unquote room, you know, acting like someone in the typical insane asylum, you know. So, um, movie did pretty well, but you know, like uh, like on the on the uh, festival circuit, but you know, it's not like I could have used that to get my SAG card or anything. But you know, I still you know have delusions of grandeur when it comes to acting you know why because i have um i have more confidence in my acting than i do in my writing that helps but because i've been at it longer you know yeah like writing it the writing came about and with acting though that i think the feedback is different like writing you oh, have yeah. to seek you have to seek that feedback if you're not out there with something that's like you know widely available or whatever meanwhile so, applause is instant or yeah. lack of is it's instant, right? Um, yeah, I, you either got the laugh or you didn't. Right, right. It, it's you know with it's it's even like to the point where when you pitch a story to an editor, um, you don't give them the entire script, you know. And and I was always mistaken in that because I always thought that when you give the entire script, you're giving the editor the not the idea, but um, you're letting him or her know that you know how to write. You know, which right. which isn't what they want. No, they have submission guidelines, yeah. and you have to specifically follow those. You have to do a paragraph on one page, and then that's it. You know, and like you, and if that's an art. Pitching is an art all into its own too. You know, and it's you know, it's odd that that's how you get your the. That's the sign of your ability is knowing how to pitch a book. You know, like I'd rather just write the whole thing and then just you know hand hand it over, but nobody wants to read it. You know, isn't that sad? <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and, but the same way, I'm like more of a completist that way as well. I'm like, this is these 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 are my thoughts. Mm-hmm. This is everything. It's all right here, and it's done. And you just need to say yes or no. Yeah, but it goes back to it goes back for for me anyway. It goes back to acting because of that instantaneous um, feedback. You know, because of of the work that you're doing and how you're presenting it. You know, like if you if you read. Um, like Shakespeare, if you're if you're doing Iago in Othello, 
there's so many different interpretations you can do. There's not really one wrong way to do it, but like it just has to be the one that speaks to you the most. Whereas when you write, um, when you write a script and you're putting it out there and you're putting all these like, and funny thing is like when, I don't know about you, but when I, when I'm writing, uh, I write long and full script, you know, like long form and full script, you know, so, it's, right. so yeah. I'm putting in panel descriptions and putting in dialogue and, you know, yeah, that's what I yeah. do. So in my, so when I write, I write it as if it was a letter to the artist. So everything is Sean or Giancarlo, like we're doing, we are doing this. I, you know, like I think this and he looks like this and, you know, little references. I do, I do a lot of, um, the reference shots. Like I always look up all the, uh, artistic stuff that they need to, you know, look at beforehand and then give them like Google search, you know. Oh yeah, you, you I do. I mean? so I'll put in. I'll put in links. Like this is right. the wardrobe of this, and this is the furniture that you know would be this time. Well, that's that. their job, but I, 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 I gotta make it exactly. easier if it's if it takes you know ten less minutes for them to have to freaking Google or Pinterest or whatever. Yeah, then I'm the same way. Fine. So, you know, I put a lot in, and not only that, you know, just telling, like, I, I it's almost like I'm directing the film. You know, and, and that's part of what writing comics is. But um, there's so many of these little things that nobody will ever see unless they see my scripts. You know, like these like little references to you know, you know movies or, um, and it's not even just a reference to a movie. It's a reference to a specific scene in a movie that hasn't you know that no one ever pays attention to. You know, just something that I know we get. You know, like the artist and I will get. You know, so you put all those things into the script and no editor wants to read it until they've, they've accepted it. You know, whereas, you know, when you put all those things into your acting performance, it comes out and people respond to it or they don't respond to it, you know, and that's when you get your instantaneous, um, your instantaneous feedback. So, well, you know, talking about how you, you know, you do some of the research for your artists and, and everything. What was the biggest resource about organized crime that, I mean, first of all, that made such an impact on you that you needed to create a story about it. Because I was like really into studying the mob for a while. I don't know what got into me. It was probably right after high school. Uh Um, For me, it's it's weird. Um, This plays into the book a great deal. Like um, I've told people that the book is inspired by true events and, um, to get into detail with it, you know, it's probably going to spoil the book a little bit, so I won't get into too much detail. But when I was growing up, my father's side of the family is the Italian side, and my mom's the Puerto Rican side. So my father's side of the family, um, I would go, you know, every couple of weekends a month, you know, maybe once, uh, one weekend a month or something to my grandparents' house. And my grandfather would pick me up, and whenever he'd pick me up, he would go uh, a certain way. This was on Staten Island. And we would stop at a friend's house, and his name was John Castellano. And it, <laughs> I already know the name. Right. That's, a, that's my point. I knew, uh, like, uh, I knew this guy as a friendly guy, as a friend of my grandfather's, nothing about it. It wasn't until mm, I had to be in my 20s or 30s you know, doing different research for, for some book, you know, um, and I saw the name and I was like, that can't be the same. Look up picture, son of a bitch. It's the same John Castellano. 
You know, like, like uh, there's no way my grandfather knew mobsters. And, you know, that's kind of like, I wish I knew the actual reason why I was looking stuff up. You know what it is? I know exactly what it is. I have this morbid fascination with JFK and Marilyn Monroe. And okay. I... I eat up anything JFK, Marilyn Monroe. Like, like I have this. I don't know if it's like, <laughs> it's this childish, kind of like immature, like little kid love that you think is real love type of thing. You know, like, like oh, I'm in love with so and so, and it's not actually real love. But that's how I feel about Marilyn Monroe. Like, I have this real deep affection for someone that died ten years before I was born. Which is weird, you know, but it's weird, but it's so sweet. But, but it's, you know, and, and like I like I can't tell you how many times I've had time travel. Time travel is a big thing for me. And it's only because I want to say her, you know, like and it's so weird, you know, and, and dumb in, in some sense. But it's it's really genuine. Like I'm, I'm being 100 percent serious. Like I talk to my wife about it. It's, it's kind of kind of sick and sad in some ways. But because of her and because of JFK and that period of time. Um, you know, conspiracy theories or the government or whatever. That's kind of like the whole, you know, Chicago mob and Frank Sinatra and all that stuff. That's really where I think my interest began and how I started doing that kind of research and getting to that point. But, but yeah, it's, um, I, it's gotta be that. Well, see, cause I remember like you and I are about the same mm -hmm. age and like growing up, um, I think on the news a lot was the the Teflon Don yeah, and yeah. Sammy the Bull Gravano and um, so it was one of those things where it was just very newsworthy at the time and I remember like reading this big gigantic book about it and and how they it traced all the way back to the to Luciano's family in particular so um, how they all you know it's like it was just a newer generation and and I, and you think about it like you know when you have pictures and in your book you're talking about the Luciano era. Mm -hmm. So the men are in these three-piece suits and, and everything. And it's like, but when we were, you know, watching the news back then, it was those track suits and, um, you know, like. Polo shirts, t-shirts, yeah. Yeah, or like Gotti walking around the neighborhood. Right. And that, I mean, you know, you just knew it, it was so ridiculous. It's like, dudes, what happened to your style? Well, you <laughs> it's know, like, where did that go? You know, it's funny. I, I, I have this. um this is kind of getting off track a little bit, but I have this idea for a television show that a reality television show that I really want to produce. And it's basically taking like these 20 something year old frat boys and stuff and putting them into other countries where, and having to do the rituals that make the, like the young boys into men, like, uh, sticking your hands in fire ants or whatever, you know, like, or getting a, scary stuff. Yeah, yeah, getting a Maori, you know, Maori tattoo or something, you know, like, uh, like, uh, on a tongue. Polynesian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because like we lost that somehow, like men, you know, like, I mean, as men, it's just different. You know, now it's like getting a car or going, you know, like, I don't know. Yeah, the, Everything the, I, material. Yeah. It's, it's like, we lost the idea of what it means to be a man in, in the, in the world. You know, where we're more concerned with what it means to be a man in um, in your neighborhood, you know, or in your in your relative um, environment, you know, like where you go to work, where you, you know, hang out with your friends and stuff. And it's all like, you know, this whole 
knockout game thing or whatever. You know, like it's like these things that people do to try to prove their, you know, masculinity. People, I should say men, not because women aren't doing these things, you know, or if they are, they're isolated. But um, like like men are guys, you know, they're, they're not men anymore. So that's kind of like the thing with the book is that um, the the um, the Godfather, let's say uh, the movie. I didn't watch that movie for years because my name is Vito and everybody called me Vito Corleone. And I thought it was the, Oh my God. And like, when I finally got to watch it, it was like, Oh, I'm the asshole. <laughs> you know, like I'm the idiot that wouldn't watch one of the greatest movies of all time, you know, because of some stupid hang up, you know? So, you know, Goodfellas, you know, is another good one, you know, like, uh, but I watched Goodfellas like in the theater because there was nobody named Vito in it. Actually there is in the Billy Bat scene. There's a guy for like two seconds, but, I was very touchy about my name, you know. Well, that's funny because one of my questions mm-hmm. was going to be to ask you what your mafia name would be. Like, <laughs> would you be? It would have to be something like you know, Vinny the Vito the Mouse, or you know, Pretty Boy Vito. You know, oh. like what would what what could we give Vito Vito's uh, mafia name here? I have you ever come up with it? I never really Vito. thought of it. You know, the, the like, my nickname like, would have to be something that. Um, it, probably something like the bull because like I I knew this guy still know him <laughs> well I don't know why I knew him I used to work with him is what it is um, who was a martial artist and he was pretty high up I, I if he wasn't black belt he was very close and um, somebody said so who do you think would win in a fight between you and Vito and he said probably Vito because that dude's not going to stop until he's dead. You know, so maybe maybe dead man. I don't know. Like, you know, like, I don't know. Like, it's just because I, I I give off this like very intense Vito the Rock. There we go. <laughs> like, I give off this very intense vibe. I think you know to people that barely know me, and the people people that do know me, you know, are find me very approachable, very affable. You know, um, self-effacing even. You know, so I think that you know this vibe that I give off to people that don't know me. And, and, you know, I'll tell you what, my name goes a long way to perpetuate that because, because of the Godfather. It's a rough name. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because of the Godfather, because of, it is a don't fuck with me name. Like, are are you bothering me? You bothering me? I'm going to go get Vito right now. I've had more people say that I like they, they've said to people, they know somebody named Vito. And that was, that was it. Like that was enough to like make somebody stop doing whatever they were doing. Like, which is weird because, like, then then I show up, you know, like, uh, like, what am I gonna do? But yeah, <laughs> yeah. like, the name goes. A- I will write your death scene right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, the name goes a long way to perpetuate that myth, though. You know, because of all the, you know, mafia in American culture, uh, in pop culture, even, you know, like that that stuff is very strong, you know, which is, which you know plays well to like. The thing I've told everybody about World War Mob is that it's a book that only I can write. You know, I think if I told you the premise and I gave you the premise uh, of the mob taking out a hit on Mussolini, you would write a completely different story than what I'm writing, you know, but, which is great. But at the same time, there's something to what I'm writing and what I'm putting out there that lends itself to authenticity. Again, inspired by true events. Um, 
that I don't think anybody, I don't think the best writer in the country or in comics, in the comics industry could touch what I'm doing. And I hope that doesn't sound as conceited as it did in my head when I just said it. But, but, you know, like, that's the goal is to write something that no one else can write. But the, yeah, but that's it's something that we all uh, actually all of them, the writers that I have on talk about there, you know, how there's a million zombie stories and superhero stories. And, you know, but the reason that you write the story that you, you know, that you're doing is because it's the one that you need to to get out yeah. there. Um, yeah, even superhero stories. I don't write like wild west stories. I mean, how many westerns are there? I mean, seriously, yeah. there's, you know, the, the, it's it, it's a culture into itself. And um but you know, my stab at a western is not going to be anything like anybody else's. Yeah, uh, I, you know, yeah. I just—they tell you write what you know, but I, I also think that you have to. There's a thing that I'm trying to begin, or you know, like a trend that I'm trying to start, where we take a look at our lives and we take a look at our our families even, and we mine what is there for stories, you know, because it's, it's almost the, the only phrase I can come up with it is, um, familial myth mythology, you know, like where we look at our grandparents or our great grandparents. And here's a really good instance of that. My wife and I got really, really into ancestry.com a couple of months ago where we were just stupid, stupid about it. And, um, she, found out that there was like uh, somebody was adopted on her father's side and um, his actual birth mother was from like Canada or something, you know, like it was like, Oh my God, what if they were a Canadian Indian, you know, or something or, you know what I mean? Like, and like you start coming up with these stories about people you don't even know. And I feel like if we took a step back and looked at stuff like that in our own family histories, as writers, I mean, like, you know, people that are in the uh, industry and stuff, we would all have like a new genre of story that I don't think, again, going back to the idea that no one can write this story that I'm writing, you know, this, this specific story. You can write about Mussolini all you want, but you're not going to get this story. Um, I don't know. I like, again, like it would, it would be great to start a trend like that, you know, where people just start looking at their own histories and, uh, just mining it for whatever they can. Yeah, I think that's um, it's a cool writer's prompt. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yeah, if you feel like you're, least, it, yeah. you're stuck. Um, when uh, it was funny that you were talking about how Kirby, like the you know, you were channeling and you wanted uh, Giancarlo to to like just be inspired by a, a Kirby style because this was you know, 1944 and 45, because um, one of the things that I was thinking was uh, the uh, when the Nazis are like getting punched and stuff. This is back in hand to hand days, mm -hmm. which you don't, you know, we don't witness quite the way that, we, you know, we don't fight. Work. We don't fight that way anymore. No, not at all. We don't fight that way anymore. We have drones. Yeah. Um, but I, I was looking that, you know, at those particular parts of the story and it's, a bit harsher and more graphic as than Captain America and Wonder Woman fighting the Nazis. Mm -hmm. Like it's just a, it's, it slightly kicks it to a different direction where it takes, it, it, it's not that Kirby style. Right. And it was just one of those things where I, I was reading it and this is before talking to you mm -hmm. about a Kirby influence at all. Mm -hmm. 
I, this is one of the things when I saw those pages, I was like, wow, that's kind of like Captain America, but not. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> you know, the book is, this is a story that's been brewing for a while. And it wasn't until I saw Inglorious Bastards that I knew how to tell the story. You know, and it's not like I, I rip anything off from Inglorious Bastards. There might be one or two things that when people read the book, they'll actually go, oh, I can point to that and say he definitely likes Tarantino. But I think for the most part, it was just in framing the story, you know, like, like just looking how Tarantino cinematically frames his stories as a, and, and also the violence. You know, I didn't want to do – there was um, a scene that we nixed uh, in, volume, in volume, in issue two where there's an implied rape and I'm not a fan of rape at all. You know, like, uh, let me just say that at first and we don't see it. It's just, you know, I wanted to get people to hate this character, you know, and like, this goes back to a couple months ago, somebody had uh, gotten to this kind of pickle with one of their stories. Like I wanted people to realize he was the villain of the story. And, what it, well, it's so much of a trope where it's like, yeah. well, you do nothing else with a female right, character. Right, right. You know, and by and large, this book has no females whatsoever. And it's, it, it, and it's not a failing on the part of the story that it, there, there's one female and, you know, she does, she says her piece and then she's gone, you know, and the reason why, the reason why she's gone is because one, a character kills her and there's repercussions for that. And that's really what I was trying to get at, that you can't, when you're left to police yourself, you know, amongst five guys, you know, when five guys are left to police themselves autonomously from their mafia bosses, from uh, the U.S. Army, from whoever, what is the law? You know what I mean? Like, that was what I was trying to get at. And we figured out a way. All right. Well, let's not, you know, imply rape. Let's just, you know, just she got killed off off camera. And the thing is, by and large. Whenever you do – this is, again, going back to the idea that it's not the failing of the genre or of, of my storytelling or whatever, but by and large, World War II stories you know, don't have a lot of women in them. And I really hate that, you know, and, I, and I hate that I had to play to that. I just you – know, I'll be honest. I didn't know where to put one. You know, like I, put, I put her where I thought she would do the best um, for the story. But again, like it's just – I, I, I full-heartedly admit I don't consider myself a feminist, but I'm the father of a of a girl, you know, of a of a, of a potential woman, you know. And as someone in comics that wants to tell stories, not, whether they be good stories or bad stories, or you know, stories that stand the test of time, I have a responsibility to my daughter to tell her a story that she can learn something from, you know. Well, she has to be engaged in it, and she has to be right. inspired by it, and and relate to it. Yeah, and 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 that's it's so tough when you're dealing with. I mean, if it's if you're telling a war story and you're specifically talking about this particular platoon, mm. and you're saying this particular platoon is all men, then then that's you know that's fine. That's right, right. Sort of sort of like the the Wild West dilemma. Mm. I mean, the only women were prostitutes. Right, right. Um, so. But you could, if you wanted to tell a feminist story, then you could look at the female pilots and you could look at the, right. the women that were building the airplanes and that were back home, whatever. I mean, it, you would have to be wanting to tell that story instead of the story exactly. that you're working exactly. on. 
And and you know, I, no one's going to touch the Night Witch story that Garth, Garth Ennis did. Uh, yeah, I mean, I Holy learned from that story. God, that story it was perfect. Yeah, you know, but and you know, there's got to be and vile. I mean, oh, absolutely, very, absolutely, very vile. Yeah, but I mean, there's got to be stories like that, not just on the Russian side, but you know, on the American side, on the German side. You know, like you know, I think when you're dealing with World War II, the minority that gets this sounds weird, but uh, hear me out. The minority that gets the spotlight the most are usually um, black men and sometimes uh, Native Americans, you know, because like, oh, what were what were their roles, you know, and, you know, you dig because their roles are important in the war because of their roles in, in America. Does that make sense? Like they were treated, they were mistreated, you know, so like so poorly in, in the States. How do you make a hero? You know, like they're obviously heroes, you know, so you're they're almost the, the villain of those pieces are almost the United States Army. Mm-hmm. Whereas the women are just sort of like marginalized completely. I, You know, but that's that's just kind of like how it's been. And I'm not saying that that's the way it should be. But, you know, there's going to be a story like Night Witch, like the Night Witches or something that's going to open up. You know, I hope I get to tell it. You know, like, I just want to do some more research and find something like that, because I feel like, you know, you feel like you owe it to people. You know what I mean? As a, as a creator that, like, you want to tell as many different sides of the story as you possibly can. You know, like, instead of saying, oh, Jenny back home, you know, like, because that's what we've seen since day one. Whenever, right. you know, like, whenever I watched a war movie, it's always been Jenny back home. Oh, the USO is in town. Now let's go dance with girls. You know, that, right. you know that's that's always the way it is, you know, and it's, it's, it's time that that's got to change. Like I was reading something, Kelly Sue posted it on her Tumblr today. And it was something that Gina Davis had said. And it was about, if you want to turn things around for women in Hollywood, change your roles to all women that are already men. And, and are they any different? Do they react any different? You know, and, um, you know, like, and then what was the other one? Oh, she said in the background, um, make them 20% women in the background, you know, because she's like, what women don't want to stop and look at it. Like more or less, I, the way I took it was women don't want to stop and watch a car wreck. Like, of course they do. Like they're human, you know, like, and that's the whole thing is like, just instead of thinking in terms of man, women, you know, black, white or whatever, it's just it, humanity is just what it is. You know, I see women with their cell phones taking pictures of people in fights too. You know, like, you know what I mean? It, Right. They're no different than than men. They're no different than, you know, old people or young people or anything, you know, so. I think, I I mean, but there's going to be historical accuracy that you're going for as well. I mean, if if a woman did not fight in the trenches, then you you can't. You can't force it. You can't put her there and not have it feel like, well, this is a an interesting piece of fiction, (laughs) and it would feel it would feel more like a twisted tale, you know, like we're like we were talking about. It would feel more like a twisted tale than it would about a story about the war. And you know, like you know, it's not just the war; it's the mafia too. And like you know, very often there are very very few. I'm not going to say there's none, but there's very few that I've come across in my research women that were soldiers for the mob. You know, they're usually... Oh, yeah, it's very rare. You know, they're usually, you know, somebody's mall, you know, like that, you know, took out a hit on somebody. 
you know, they're, they're very, they're very few and far between, you know, where they're, you know, soldiers or conciliaries or, um, captains in the mob and stuff like they're few and far between, if at all. So for this story, I don't think, like you were saying, you can't just, you can't spoon feed people that kind of agenda, you know, and it's not so much an agenda on my part. It's just, I, I, I have this responsibility to tell these entertaining stories and I want to do it the you know the right way you know and again like i don't claim to be a feminist at all you know i love women you know i i made one <laughs> you know half of me made one you know so i don't i don't well somebody somebody said it really well they said they said if you think people should be treated as equals you're a feminist oh okay i i, I like i that. thought okay well that's an enlightening way of looking at it because there's so there's so much pressure to feel like oh i need to i need to raise the women here, I need to raise them above this and I need to raise them to this level. And, um, and it's, you know, and you need to shout louder and stronger and, uh, you know, be as strong as a man and do all these things that men do. It's not that you right. just, you're just talking about human rights. There was a, someone had posted on Facebook an article about, um, there was a Kickstarter for a video game and I don't know if it was the backers or just people that were fans got up in arms because the lead animator was a backer who just happened to be a woman and that she like submitted a piece of fan art and then she got a job and people were just like crying about it. you know, like, well, what, you know, what are you doing? And it's like, I saw this woman's artwork and it's beautiful. Like, why wouldn't they hire her? You know, like I don't, I don't get that knee jerk reaction. Yeah. The gaming industry is. Oh harsh. yeah. Oh yeah. It's just brutal. I mean, if you, you can look up women in gaming and you'll get inundated with articles about, about the treatment these days. Well, you'll just get heartbroken. You know, because yeah, you know, it's awful. if you're if you're anybody that's like you're saying feminist frequency alone, you follow that channel alone and your heart will break. Yeah. It's, it's just if you have any um, if you have any sense of human rights, I guess, you know, or, or you know, it's not even equal rights, you know, like, you know, the ERA type of thing. I mean, like if you just have any sense of human rights, you know, to see somebody just get derided because they got a job. And their the derision is based on their gender. That's just stupid, you know. It's there's a you know um, Janelle Aslan. Um, I hope I say her, I'm saying her name right. Aslan. I, I'm not sure, but I, I've never actually met her. <laughs> but um, she uh, she does an article every week for um, Commerce Alliance, and um, my uh, Amy Chu, who's a friend of mine. You know, she got spotlighted. Hire this woman now. You know, today. Right, I just saw that. Yeah, and and I love Amy to death. She's really talented, and we took the lettering uh, the lettering class together. And I wish her all the best. And like, and I, you know, firmly you know back her and stuff. But there's a part of me, you know, like, and this is hard to admit, you know, but there's a part of me that's like, wow, I wish somebody would spotlight me once, you know, like, and and I understand why. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like I'm trying to take that away from Amy or any of the women that are spotlighted or at, at all. It's just, you know, there's that there's always when you're a creator and you work by yourself 90 percent of the time, you just you just want validation once, you know. And um, I don't know, like, like I, I'm not trying to, you know, I, I'll be the first to admit I've had a rough go with this writing gig, you know, and like it would be great to, for somebody just to say, you know, you're the guy we like, you know, we want you to do this or whatever, but it doesn't work like that, you know, and that's, that's the other part of it. You know, it's like, we all work hard, you know, like every one of us, it doesn't, 
doesn't matter who we are, you know, where we come from or what city we live in or whatever. You you live in New York, so you're closer to DC or Marvel and stuff, whatever. You know, that, that it doesn't work like that. All of us, we work so hard to do these things that you know we care about, and why shouldn't we spotlight women? Why shouldn't we spotlight um, African Americans or Hispanics or you know whatever? Any you know, it's such an old boy network that it it kills me. It kills me, and I know I sound like I'm uh, like I'm double talking a little bit, but like I'm a Gemini, I think, and sometimes I just you know speak out of both sides of my head or something. I don't know, but. I just want every, you know what it is? I want to work with my friends. Yeah. I'm the you know, like that's, all, <laughs> and, and it's like, I like the lot of the majority of the friends that I have in this industry are working guys that get paid a good page rate that just can't work for free, you know? And like that's, and that sucks sometimes, but at the same time, I love that my friends are getting work, you know? Yeah, and I, and because I, I'm like that too. I'm like, I'm like, hook, uh, you know, hook me up with the uh, the amazing team. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, you're like, you know, Kyle Latino mm-hmm. and J.K. Woodward, and it's like all these guys <laughs> that I know that are amazing. I'm like, how can I, how can I do that? Yeah, and, and, and you know, uh, <laughs> and, Ming is uh, Ming Doyle is a friend of mine, and I kill to work with her. You know, and and thing is, like, I want to write the right story for her number one. But at the same time, it's like, well, Ming's getting paid work, you know, like I can't expect her to stop that just to draw an eight page story for me. You know what I mean? Like, because we all have to make a living somehow. Once you start making a living, God, God knows, don't go backwards. <laughs> you know, like don't, don't, yeah, yeah. don't ever do anything for free. God, you know, well, when you have to, you have, yeah, to. like, I mean, if you're vested in it, that's basically yeah. the bottom line is when, when you're like, yeah, I need to do this story, you know, you'll work for a, a freaking bag of bagels, yeah, you know? Yeah. Hey, I, I looked over a script of yours yeah, you know, and like, I'm glad to do so. Cause you know, I did you, I did your, I did your writing. I did everything, you know, that you want to put out there. And, and not only that, I have this is the this is where it comes down to, and this is kind of going back to what I was saying about Amy. I have a vested interest in your success. You know what I mean? Like because you're a friend of mine, and because Amy's a friend of mine, uh, I have this need to see you succeed. You know, and if I can be a part of that somehow, if I can, you know, edit something. Yeah, I think that's one of the most remarkable things anybody's ever said on the show because oh, it's really? it's like yeah, it's it's so brilliant. Um, it's it's not a competition. No, no, absolutely. Like, we're all coming up through the ranks together, and we're not competing with each other. We're like, hey, let's be on panels together. Yeah, you know, but I mean, <laughs> it's the reason why I have such a vested interest in your success and in Amy's and in um, Matt Miner, who I did uh, liberate, I lettered liberator for, for him, and uh, Sean, who's doing straight, you know, everybody that I work with and people that I just, people that I like, you know, people that I just, when I see them at shows, that, I smile because I I enjoy their work or because, you know, we've shared a funny joke or, you know, whatever. Like I have a vested interest in your success because you've never done anything to wrong me, number one. But number two, it's like, what do I benefit from bringing you down? In the, in the long run, if I were to do something to bring you down, it would just bring me down and not just in, a reputation sense. I mean, like in a creative sense, because we both are at at the same level. You know what I mean? And you know, if we bring everyone together, if we bring people up together, and we kind of share success, and we kind of, um, if we have the money, we throw in on Kickstarter. If we 
um, tweet their their links, you know, every week, you know, for like web comics or whatever, you know, whatever it is. You know, like if we just keep doing that, I think it has no bearing on print versus digital. It has no bearing on young versus old. Or and this this is kind of what I was I guess in a roundabout way I finally got to my point about you know women in comics and you know and stuff I I, I don't want to see color you know I don't want to see you know sex I just want everybody to be happy you know it's so miserable making a comic sometimes it's like why can't I just make comics with my friends and be happy. Yeah, it really should just be such a like gender should just not even be. Yeah, I mean, and just not. I I don't, you know, I'll always lose that fight or that debate, I should say, you know, because I, I've never been a woman, um, that that I know of. Um, I'll never be black. I'll never be um, Asian. I'll I'll never be. Short, I you know whatever you know like there's a bunch of things whatever I am. I'll never be the other stuff, you know, like whatever people, whatever pigeonhole you want to put me in, I'll never be the other stuff. So I, I you know, I, I don't want to be that stuff either, though. Like, I just want to be somebody that people can rely on to read a good story, you know, or someone that when I edit a book or something that they, they go, oh, that dude's hands on it. That's going to be good. You, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even matter. Like, that's why I do. A lot of the stuff I do, I do for free because, like, I have I, – I care about people. You know, like, the people that I care about, I care about a great deal. Yeah, you know, and that's – you know, that's the thing. Like, it's uh, – there's always the, you know, don't work for free, but there's always a caveat. There's always a – unless there's this, yeah. you know. And I think that's – I think that's important. But, um, all right, Vito, we are going to wrap we up. We should. <laughs> we sh- or we will talk for another four hours, and I got to work tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I got to um, <laughs> So, um, have an absolute wonderful holiday. Me too. I, I hope you get everything you wanted and stuff you didn't know you were going to. I I already have gotten everything that I wanted. Oh, I have. Um, where can people find you on the web and learn about World War Mob and everything? I think uh, the best way to do it is just look up Incognito, which is basically Incognito with a V instead of an N. Like it's my Twitter handle. It's my Facebook. Uh, yeah. URL. It's my website. You know, if you just look up Incognito, that you'll find me. Like, it, it, if you find somebody else, let me know because I don't think that's possible. Yeah, that would be remarkable. Yeah, that, but, that's uh, somebody. That's synergy. I think. I don't know. Well, um, and where can awesome. they find you? They can find me. I'm mostly on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber. Uh, you can follow everything else at amberunmasked.com and on Facebook. There's a page called Amber Unmasked and uh, Google, of course. But um, mostly Twitter. Twitter's like my place to be. Yeah, so you're more important than I am. <laughs> you know, like I, and I don't mean it like that. I mean like, you know, this is your show. I want to know where people can find you. People can find me, yeah, mostly on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber, and it and, and it fluctuates every everything from like you know personal t- just rants about life to you know comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, you know, we're at the end of, of a year and soon there'll be a lot of posts about looking back on favorite things that happened this year and everything. And so, so this is a highlight that I finally got you on Thank the show. Thank you. I, well, I appreciate that. That, that. that just gave me goosebumps, actually. It was like, oh, that's very nice of somebody to say. <laughs> I'm well, serious. I'm, I'm, I'm rubbing my arms. <laughs> Well, I hope to run into you, you know, sometime soon because I do hate going to the city as much as you do, and yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, but, I live in Queens. That's the, you know, but it's still, it's yeah. still a trek to get into the city. Trust me. Yeah, it's just it's, not it's like Manhattan. you. Yeah. 
But uh, okay, well, you have a wonderful, safe holiday, good New Year, you know, and and hugs to um, the the little baby. She's just a cute. <laughs> All right, everybody, cheers to you.